help me welcome Superintendent John Wooten. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sammy, for that kind introduction, and glad to have you in Ohio. Uh, in case you are visiting today or new to the church, uh, Sammy is uh, the new youth pastor here. He and his wife, Victoria, relocated from southern Florida to the vacation capital of the world, all right? Greater Canton, Ohio. And uh, as you've already heard, I'm sure, this is the worst that winter ever gets, what you've experienced this year. So it should be all downhill from here, right? Ha ha. Well, uh, First Assembly, it is great to see you folks today. I know so many people in this room, and it's good to see you guys again. Thank you for all of your help and your support and partnership over the years. But there's many faces in this room I do not know, and I hope before the end of the day today that uh, I can shake your hand and get to know some of you because this church means so much to so many other people besides just uh, the Louisville community. Uh, I need your help, however, first. I want to make sure I'm I'm a good uh, guest today. I haven't heard yet when church is supposed to be over. So on the count of three, if you'd please shout out really loud what time church needs to be over. That would be really helpful for me, okay? Uh, one, two, three. Three o'clock. Okay, good. Thank you very much for that. Uh, that will be helpful. So it is a, uh, a privilege uh, for me to do what I do. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about that as our ushers come forward. They have a couple of... Uh, brochures to hand out, maybe one per uh, couple would be good, or one per uh, individual uh, household. Uh, my uh, job title officially is the superintendent of the Ohio Ministry Network, which is part of the Assemblies of God around the world, and uh, you have been such a big part of what the Ohio Ministry Network, and some of you remember days gone by, we were called the Ohio District Council, uh, all the same thing, about 280 churches, uh, like First Assembly around the state of Ohio, and around 13,000 churches across the United States. In fact, just this year it was announced that we reached our highest number of churches ever, and uh, we continue to grow. The Assemblies of God has had 25 uh, consecutive years of continual growth, and uh, we thank God for that. And We thank God for the anointing of His Holy Spirit in our churches, upon our preachers, upon great uh, ministries in our churches, like youth groups that you have here. And I don't see anybody here over 40 years of age, but if you have a senior citizens group, that, uh, that too. All of the things that go into making our churches uh, who they are, we're so thankful. And uh, what you have in front of you is uh, just a, a snapshot for the spring. It has some upcoming events on the back. Uh, this summer, we're looking forward to our great uh, youth camps and kids camps at Heartland, this church in case you don't know, owns a beautiful 300 and some acre uh, conference center and camping facility. How many of you have been to Heartland before? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, I know a lot of you have been there. And uh, it's your conference center, and it's growing, and we're so excited uh, for what that represents every summer. You can already register for the camps. Uh, in fact, uh, you can even uh, make payments. A couple hundred dollars is uh, hard to come up with sometimes in just a week, so you can make payments in advance if you go on there. And if you're a grandma or grandpa or uh, just a good friend, and maybe you don't have your own kids to send to camp, you can also uh, give scholarships to help someone uh, go to camp. And that's all available on the, uh, on the website there that you see in the brochure. We also have a senior adults conference coming to Amish country in the first part of June. It's going to be uh, three days and two nights at Carlisle Inn. I know a lot of you have been there already. In Sugar Creek, we're going to have some great preaching and music and just a lot of uh, 
We call it the Silver Buckeyes. Uh, a lot of our uh, leading members around the state of Ohio are gathering together in Amish country and many, many other things coming up. But uh, what you see there on uh, the inside gives you just a, just a glimpse of all the things that you are helping to accomplish uh, by your partnership. And uh, I don't know um, how, how I could have enough kind words to say for your pastor and his wife, Dan and Marsha Dean. Uh, many of you know them very, very well, and you know that you've got gold here in uh, your pastor. And what a friend he's been to me personally, and a friend to so many ministers around the state of Ohio and our churches. I think he might hold the record, uh, having served three different times as a presbyter, our state board of directors, and that's because he served and and uh, did his time, so to speak, to help and uh, encourage other churches, and then we needed him again, and he came back a second time, and then he took a break, and then we called a third time, Dan, would you come back? And he said yes. So uh, what, a, what a friend. We uh, all uh, think Dan and Marsha are, and we're just praying along with you that they are having their batteries recharged while they're taking this time away. And uh, I don't know exactly when his first Sunday back is, but I'm hoping that you'll have the place packed and show him and Marcia, look, Pastor, look what can happen. When you take some time away, we can not only sustain ourselves, but we can grow. In fact, you ought to take more time off, right? So <laughs> encourage Pastor Dan and Marcia. I know that you do that. And, you know, they, I know you know this, but every time I see them, uh, they're just so full of appreciation for how this congregation loves them. They'd rather be no place else in the world than Louisville, Ohio. And as superintendent, when I know that there are pastors and spouses like that, it just it makes my heart so full because I know those people in that community are going to be in really, really good hands. Uh, Sammy or Nusher, can I uh, ask for a cup of water or a bottle of water? I forgot to do that, and I apologize. Uh, I want to uh, ask you today a few questions. In fact, my message has four specific questions. But uh, I can't help but sit in a church like this in Louisville and think about my own upbringing just down the road from here, down Interstate 77, in another ville called Byesville. All right. How many of you have been to Byesville, Ohio? All right. Byesville, Ohio makes Louisville, Ohio look like New York City. All right. So uh, I get it, being raised in an Assemblies of God church and just so thankful for what the people who love Jesus Christ in that relatively small town did to make sure that there was a solid place that families and individuals could come and, and grow in their faith, just like you are doing here. Now, it's been a while since I was a teenager in Byesville, Ohio, uh, but way back then in the 60s and 70s and 80s when I was growing up, we only had one stoplight in the whole town of Byesville, just to give you some perspective. And here's some additional perspective. Today is 2017, and Byesville still only has one stoplight. We're trying to pace ourselves, all right? Don't want to go too fast. So, uh, so many really good memories of how a small town setting uh, set this boy up for some unbelievable experiences. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate that very much. That I could have never, never imagined. And so I look out at this room today, and I've come specifically... Uh, to encourage this church and perhaps some folks right here in this room today who feel like you have dreams, who feel like God has given you something bigger, something new, that he has plans for you or for your business or for an outreach, a way to reach your family. You, you can hardly contain it sometimes because 
maybe no one else heard it. Maybe no one else saw it, but you know God has spoken to you, or perhaps uh, God has spoken to your pastor, to your leaders, and, and you're just so excited. I may have come all this way today to talk to someone, to encourage you, to give you that extra nudge, because I don't know your stories. I don't know what week you've been through or what year you've been through. But perhaps this is for you and the, and the dream that God is planting in your heart. Or perhaps it's for the message today is for someone who would say, oh, I got nothing. Mm-mm, nope. Haven't heard anything like that in a while. I want to tell you there's some important things that we do through God's word and in the body of Christ, even when God isn't perhaps speaking to us about a vision for us or for a dream that we have had. I want to encourage you today with with the role that we all play in this thing called the body of Christ and in moving the kingdom of God forward because God promises in his word on numerous occasions over and over again, there's a pattern that the big way he grows his church, that the way he moves us forward in the things of God is through his Holy Spirit's activity. And so today I want to look at three different passages. We're actually going to just read one of them, but I'm going to refer to all three of them, hoping that you either are familiar with these stories or that if not, you can read them on your own time. But if you'll turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 2. I want to encourage our heart today about visions and dreams. Visions and dreams. I have four questions to ask you about a vision or a dream that God might be placing in your heart or in the life of someone that you know very close. Acts chapter 2 verse 14 is Peter's address when in the middle of Jerusalem, uh, devout Jews from many, many nations heard this group of converts to Christianity, to this faith of Jesus Christ, they heard them begin to speak with foreign languages. And it was called speaking in tongues. This was the day of Pentecost. And, and the testimony then, and it still happens today, I just heard about this testimony this week, of how when someone is full of the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in other tongues, that Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's a language that someone else knows by heart. It's their dialect, and, and God can use that. You've, you've no doubt heard stories of that happening. Well, it happened here for the first time in Acts chapter 2, and so Peter's trying to explain to these this crowd who is assuming, of course, they did what you would, and I would do. All of a sudden, you hear people who can speak fluently in your home language, and you assume that they've never been to your home language, your home territory, So here's the only way it's possible that these people could speak fluently. Aha, they've solved the mystery. What did they say? They're drunk. That's the only way to explain this. But Peter got up in verse 14, and he explained that they were not drunk. Peter stood up with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice really loud, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people, no, they're not drunk. It's, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, this is, this is what was spoken hundreds of years ago by the prophet Joel. In verse 17 is that prophecy. In the last days, God says, I will pour out of my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. 
I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of that great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, many of you know that passage by heart, or you've heard numerous uh, Sunday school lessons and sermons on this very passage. This is very central to, to our core doctrine in the Assemblies of God, that's for sure. I want to focus today on verse 17, which says that in these last days, young and old alike, that's pretty much everybody in this room, young and old alike will see visions and dreams. God is going to send visions and dreams in the last days to everybody who calls on the name of the Lord. That's how the Holy Spirit is going to move his church forward. That's how First Assembly of God even exists, is years ago, this was a vision, this was a dream. Uh, God had spoken to a group of people to have a Pentecostal work, a, a spirit-filled work right here in this part of Greater Canton in Louisville. It's, it's how many of you are in the pews where you are today. Because somewhere along the line in your family tree, God got a hold of somebody and said, it's going to be different. I have a plan for you. You're not going to do and, uh, and, and dwell in the, the sin that your forefathers and that generations in your family, I'm calling you out of that. And someone responded to a, a voice, a command. And that is some of your stories right here in this room today. Well, we're going to look uh, at, at this passage through the lens of two famous people in the New Testament, Peter and Paul. Because just as Peter explained here that Joel had prophesied, he himself, Peter, and Paul himself also were going to be illustrations, exhibit A, exhibit B, of how God was going to give his people visions and dreams. Now, let me do a little asterisk here. Uh, you need to know that not everybody who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, while that unifies us, as you know, because there are different churches, different denominations, and groups of people see a lot of other things, especially in the New Testament, a little differently than maybe you see them. So in case you haven't heard of it, uh, there, are, there are really good people who love Jesus Christ, and they're on their way to heaven, and they wholeheartedly believe that all the things that happened in the New Testament happened, but they believe that, they, that many of them came to an end that things like visions and dreams and speaking in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, they believe those were for the days of those early apostles, and then they ceased. And so in theological terms, you've heard this before, uh, those folks are called cessationists, based on the word cease. They believe that, that those types of activities of the Spirit had had their run, and they were powerful, but they ceased. And, and then there are Pentecostals and spirit-filled folks and, and charismatics and many, many others, like First Assembly of God. And we believe that those things did not cease. We believe that the Holy Spirit is continuing to move, that the last days means all the days until Jesus Christ splits the eastern sky and returns, and then we're talking about something new. So we are called non-cessationists. Look to your neighbor on your left and right and stroke your chin and say, hmm, you're a mighty fine non-cessationist there, all right? Yes. Learned a new word today, huh? So all of you people who believe that the Holy Spirit is continuing to move, you're going to be encouraged uh, by, this, by this lesson today, by this exercise in visions and dreams. So we jump to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, and there's the stories of Paul and Peter having visions and dreams. 
in chapter 9, Paul actually was not called Paul. What was his name at that point? Very good. He was still called Saul because that was his, that was his given name. And Saul was not a fun fellow to be around, especially if you believed in Jesus. Because Saul's profession was to persecute and kill Christians. He would go around and help and encourage those who were making it their focus to persecute these Jesus followers. So you and I would not have felt comfortable around Saul at all. In chapter 10, it's Peter, of course, and he already has been serving the Lord for a number of years. And both of these gentlemen receive a vision from the Lord. In Saul's case, in chapter 9, Jesus appears to him in a very bright light. And he says, Saul, stop it. Come on. Why are you persecuting me? I've got plans for you, Saul, and today is the last day of your life that you're going to persecute me. I'm going to flip things on their head. I'm going to surprise a whole lot of people, and now I'm going to use you. And instead of fighting me, Saul, you know some people like that in your life today? <laughs> they just they seem to fight everything that God wants to do in their life for whatever reason it might be. God got a hold of Saul and said, Saul, no, I'm going to use you now, and you're going to become one of the greatest preachers of the gospel ever. And in Peter's case, in chapter 10, he's in a different location. He's in the city of Joppa, which is right by the sea. And uh, he has gone up on the rooftop of this house to spend some time in prayer, but there was a little problem. He was hungry. And some of you men can identify with this. He was so hungry that he fell into a trance. Right? That's what scripture says in chapter 10. Food must must have food, right? So he's in a trance, and in this state of being hungry, wanting to pray, uh, he sees a vision, all right? So here are four questions that we're going to look at in light of Saul's vision and Peter's vision. And the first question I have for you today is, is your vision or dream about people? Is your vision or dream about people? Because every vision or dream that we read about in the New Testament was about God's heart for people. When you woke up today, before you woke up, when you went to bed last night, you were on God's heart and on his mind. And this, this great church today is living proof that God's heart is always on people. Aren't you thankful for how God has led you, how he did whatever it took to grab your attention and get you into his family? Aren't you thankful for how much God loves you and he's never changed? He will always be totally crazy about people, even when it doesn't make sense. I don't know why God is crazy about me. I don't know why he loves me because I certainly have done nothing to demonstrate that I'm worthy of love like that, but he loves me and God's heart is about people. In Saul's vision and in Peter's vision, the people group was the same. God gave Saul a vision and gave Peter a vision, and it was about the same group of people. And here in Louisville today, you might be kind of interested in who these people were. Because Saul was a Jew and Peter was a Jew, and God gave them a vision about Gentiles. Now, are, are we in Stark County here? Are we still in Stark County? All right. So uh, I, I'm from eastern Ohio. Uh, have, have Gentiles made their way to Stark County? Have you ever seen any around here? All right. A few of them? Yeah? You know a few? Right? So all of us probably in this room today, unless you were of Jewish ancestry or heritage, would be classified as Gentiles. So this should really get your attention. You see, the first several chapters of the book of Acts, when you see thousands of people getting saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is wonderful. It is awesome. But it is among the Jews that all of these great works are happening. 
That's where it started. But now in chapter 9 and chapter 10, Gentiles like us start to see, oh, we're part of the mix too. God wants to do great things and redeem the Jews, but he also wants to redeem us and fill us with his Holy Spirit. These two visions are specifically about Gentiles. Saul, of all people in the whole world, and though he was Jewish, he had lots of Roman influence. He could, he could easily go back and forth to both cultures. What a perfect perfect vessel for God to choose. Saul, I'm going to use you to now start to preach about me among the Gentiles. Peter, I'm going to use you now to start to believe and to preach so that the Holy Spirit can fall on the Gentiles. So chapter 9 is salvation. Chapter 10 is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Both of these visions are about people. They're about people like you and like me. This should get us really excited. This is our spiritual independence day that we read about in Acts chapter 9 and chapter 10. We are part of God's plan too. So what was this vision? Saul had this bright light, and instantly he became blind, and, 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 and God said, quit persecuting me. Go into Damascus now. I've got plans for your life. And he found out the plans when he got to Damascus. In Peter's case, up on the roof, he had a he had a sheet. He had a vision of a sheet. I, I hate to preach about food when we're getting close to noon. All right, so are you tough enough to handle it? Can you handle it? All right, let's do it. So here's this sheet coming down. It's a white sheet. And in this sheet are all the kinds of animals that good Jews, like Peter, should have nothing to do with. They should not touch them, let alone kill them, or worse, eat them, but that's exactly what the vision said to Peter. Here's, here's this, here's pigs, lo, it's basically the whole menu of Red Lobster and Pizza Hut right there in this sheet. That's, that's what Peter is seeing, all right? Peter, get up, touch these animals, kill them, and eat them. And he doesn't say it there, but I would add, they're delicious. They really are. It's awesome. Pepperoni right there. I mean, this was a new day for Peter. Maybe not. Who knows? But Peter's a devout Jew, and his initial reaction is very appropriate. <laughs> no. God, how can I do that? I'm, sp I'm still supposed Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. He just came to complete it. I, I can't eat those animals. And so Peter, in this vision, responded, no. Well, did you notice that things happened several times with Peter? How many times did the rooster crow, right? Or how many, how many times did Peter deny Jesus before the rooster crowed? Three times. Remember after Jesus was resurrected? They're walking along the seashore, and Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. How many times did he ask him that question? Three times, to the point that Peter kind of got exasperated. Of course I love you. So when this vision happens a second time and a third time, I'm thinking Peter goes, okay, I recognize this. <laughs> when things happen three times, uh, that's God's love language with me. I better say yes. So finally, after the third time, he said yes. And that was his clue that he was about to be used to do things among people, Gentiles, that he had previously thought unclean. In fact, we see later in this chapter, as Peter's preaching about this, that he says, God is no respecter of persons. You've heard that before. That's where this comes from, this vision of these animals coming down in the sheet. God's heart is about people. Has God given you a vision or dream that's about seeing people come to know him? 
about seeing people getting reconciled, about healing that you know would be heaven sent. If you have a vision or dream, if it's recent or if it's something that you've never been able to shake for years and years and years, if it's about people, that's a very good sign of a vision or dream that comes from God. The second question I have for you is, is your vision or dream about the future? Is your vision or dream about what's to come? Well, right there, you lost me. I, I, I don't like the future. It is scary. In fact, I like to go back because I remember how it was 10 years ago and 20 years ago. I knew all the words to the songs, right? The people at the church, I knew them all. Now so many people are coming. I don't know everybody. And, and Internet terrorism and everything else. I, I just want to go back. It was, it was so much better way back then. We kind of romanticize in a way that's not very true about how easy things used to be in the, quote, good old days, right? Unless we want to change things around and talk about how bad they were when we walked, right, five miles in the snow uphill both ways, right? So we kind of pick or choose whether the, the past was good or bad. I understand. I get it. I've got four, four young people, uh, kids, two boys and two girls, college and high school. <laughs> Pray for me, <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back. It's so scary. Oh, they're old enough to make decisions now that will have repercussions, and we have to deal with it however it might happen, and we just don't know, and they might choose mates and get married, and then we don't know those families. <laughs> oh, it's so scary. We want to go back, but we can't because God is in the future. God is moving toward the future. If you go all the way back to what we know about recorded time from God's word and how it was just God and then, and then the angels and then mankind, and we read about the last days and all that he did in the Old Testament moving us forward and how heaven is coming after the rapture and it's going to be wonderful and all the old things and the sinful things will be destroyed. God is clearly moving his people forward. That's where his kingdom is going. So our dreams and visions, if they're about the future, that's where the heart of God is. And that's hard. The older I get the more I want to go back, the more I don't like the unfamiliar territory of things that, that don't feel like they used to feel, but it's good. God is stretching us, and he's growing us because he's got new things to come. God has always been about the future. In the year 1000, he was about the future. In the year 1900, he was about the future. In the 21st century, he's about moving us forward because he's got plans to redeem Mankind. Now, here's, here's an important part about the past, because we do read in the Scripture about the validity of going back. It's just that it's always for a season. So, yes, go back and build some stones as a memorial for how God delivered his people. Absolutely. I go back to November 23, 1996. That was the day. It was a Saturday, and uh, the, there was a team called the Ohio State Buckeyes, and there's been so many of these years, uh, it, we kind of lose track of them. But that was another year that the Buckeyes went undefeated in 1996 until the grand finale of the Big Ten season on November 23rd when they played the Michigan Wolverines. And I know in Louisville, a bunch of righteous, holy people, there aren't any Wolverines fans here today. And, and it's so exciting to be being home. Yes. Lord, you see that hand. <laughs> you see that hand. <laughs> There's always one. Oh, there's always one. That day, the Michigan Wolverines were victorious, and they ruined the Buckeyes' 
perfect season. It was a sad Saturday in Columbus, Ohio, of all places. But it got off to an even worse start for me because my wife and I went to the doctor uh, to get, finally get the report. A few days earlier, I had gone in for outpatient surgery to have this little pesky bump on my neck removed. It wasn't painful, but, you know, it needed to go. And uh, he said he wanted to see us on a Saturday. So that was kind of weird to go to a doctor's office on a Saturday morning. And I don't know what we were expecting, but there was nobody there in the waiting room. It was empty. Hallelujah. We've got things to do today. I don't want to wait in a doctor's office. But it was so empty, there weren't even any secretaries or other help. It was just the doctor, and he was waiting for us in the waiting room. That's quick service. But he did that for a reason, because he wanted me to not have to worry about anything else when he told me I had cancer. Cancer? Are you kidding me? I'm only 30 years old. We just had our third baby. Are you Cancer? Boy, in those moments, and some of you have been there, you understand what, you know, shock and trauma and all that is. You, how you, you're just kind of numb for a while, right? So that began a whole process. And, and, of course, I celebrate today, November 23rd, 1996, even though that was a horrible day because July 10th, 1997 came around. And that's when I had my, my final appointment with the doctor. And he told me that I was cancer-free. And I continue to go back to the doctor every year just for a checkup. And every year I hear the same report. It's been 20 years now. And I've heard the doctor tell me that I've got no signs of cancer in my body. And I give God all the glory and honor for healing me. He absolutely did. So absolutely, we go back, but I don't go back to stay there. When do I go back there? When I'm facing a new report. When a loved one needs prayer. You better believe I go back there, but I don't stay. I go back to remind myself. It's kind of like a, a bow and arrow, right? The, the goal of the is to get the arrow down where it needs to go, but to do that, you have to pull back, right? But just for a season. You pull back, you get your bearings, it's good to go back, but don't stay there. We just go back to remind ourselves, God is so faithful. He's so powerful. No one has been dependable to me as my God has been. There is no rival. There is no equal. God is unparalleled. That's the God that I serve. So, yeah, I'm going to go back. Give me a second. And now I'm ready. I'm going to face this future. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know where everything's going to land. But I know God is going to be utterly dependable. And he will never let me down. Is your vision or dream about the future? Don't be scared. Of course there are unknowns. We'll get to that in a second. But that's where the activity of God is, is because he is constantly drawing his kingdom and his people forward to a grand finale. If your vision or dream is about people, if it's about the future, like it was for Peter and Paul, Paul had never done this before. He'd never preached. Are you kidding? Talk about intimidation. He has a reputation of being the persecutors, the persecutor of preachers, and now he's going to be one. <laughs> that is rich. That's rich. That's got to be incredibly intimidating for someone like Paul. And Peter, we read in other chapters later on down the road, it's a big deal. There are a lot of Christian Jews who are not going to be excited that all of a sudden Gentiles are part of this mix. They were ready for their own salvation, but this is another story altogether. Both of these gentlemen had a lot of reason to say, you know what, I'm just going to go back. I can't, I can't, not that. But they went on forward. Be encouraged today. If your vision is about people, if it's about future activities of God, that's a good sign that your vision and dream is from the Lord. I love this next one. Is your vision 
or dream? Does it require heaven to show up? Does heaven have to show up for your vision or dream to be confirmed? Because if you can do it all by yourself, that's awesome. But what we call that is obedience, all right? I have a vision that I'm going to make my bed this morning. No, that is obedience. Make your bed, right? I have a vision. I have a dream that I'm going to start tithing. No, that is obedience. And it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. But visions and dreams throughout the New Testament, they're the stuff that cannot get done by that person who received it alone. They have got to have supernatural help. That's the territory of visions and dreams. And that's what we see in Saul's case. I mean, think about it. If you read the whole story there, Saul, who's now a grown man, of course, persecuting, killing Christians, is not only transformed spiritually, he's transformed physically. Because when he gets up from this dream, he cannot see. The light of Jesus Christ's glory is so bright, he has now been blinded. And it's three days before he can see again, but the vision has told him to go into Damascus. How does somebody who has been able to see their whole life now follow the instructions to go into a city when you can't even see one foot in front of another. How do you do that? He didn't bring his cane or his seen eye dog. He wasn't planning on this little detour on his way to Damascus. How does Peter, a Jew, get from where he is in Joppa all the way in, not just to Caesarea, but to the house of a Roman officer named Cornelius? Now, Caesarea, what, what could that possibly be named after? Caesarea. Caesar. Caesarea, this is like an Ohio State Buckeye fan going to Ann Arbor, Michigan, right? So here's a Jew going to Caesar's place, all right? Jews and Caesar were not real tight, okay? And then on top of being in, in this whole city that was full of Roman officers, he has to go into the house of a Roman officer. How does a Jew do that? God has given both of these gentlemen a pretty tall order. They cannot do this on their own. Is your vision or dream seem a little intimidating to you? I mean, are you almost embarrassed to tell somebody what your vision or dream is, what God's been speaking to your heart? If, if the reason is because you know that God gave it to you, but to get from where you are now to fulfilling that dream would just, people would laugh at you? Do you think they might have laughed at Saul and might have laughed at Peter? Absolutely. So what do you do then? What's your choice? You do what? Saul did. You do what Peter did. What does chapter 9 say? It's profound what Saul did. It says he stood up. What did Peter do in chapter 10? It says he answered the door. Saul did what a blind man in the middle of the desert can do, and Peter did what a Jew in his house in Joppa can do. They did, they, they did what they were able to do, and God took care of of the rest. You've heard that so many times, it almost sounds passe, but it couldn't be closer to the truth. That's what God wants us to do, is to take that first step. Yes, you can't do everything, but you can do this. So do that. Take the first step. Open the door, and when we take those first steps and signal to heaven, we're on board. We don't know how, but this is going to be a God thing. That's what heaven is waiting to hear. 
And in chapter 9, there were the men who took Saul by the hand and led him every single step of the way, all the, all the way into Damascus, where he needed to go. And when Peter opened the door, there were the men sent by Cornelius to lead him all the way into Cornelius's house. He had no clue this was about to happen. But when these gentlemen said yes to God's amazing dream and vision about the future and about people, they did what they could do, and heaven took care of the rest. Your check account isn't big enough? God knows that. Some of the times of, of what's happened in my wife and I's life, I watch for laughter. I watch for her or me to just kind of laugh because whatever it was that we feel like we're supposed to do is just preposterous. That's a good sign that God might be in the mix because he loved, why does he love to do that? Because if we could do it all by ourselves, then you and I, as nice as we are, as small town as we might be, we'd still find a way to try to make the glory all of ours. That's human nature. But when the vision is so big, all we can do is smile and say, God gets all the glory. Amen? That's why he gives us visions that are beyond our normal reach. And finally, the last question I want to ask you, and this is the part maybe where this isn't about your vision or your dream at all, but I want to ask you this. Has your vision or dream been confirmed? Has your vision or dream been confirmed by some other Christian in whom you place a great deal of confidence. You see, what I'm sharing with you this morning is the pattern of the whole New Testament. Whether you're talking about Peter, Paul, and Mary, did some of you get that? All right, thank you. Peter, Paul, and Mary, or uh, talking about John, or Paul later in the book, uh, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, all these people receive visions from the Lord, and all of them were about people, they're about the future. Heaven had to show up. They couldn't do it all by themselves. And their visions and dreams were confirmed. Mary's vision about the baby was confirmed by Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth's ba uh, vision about John the Baptist, they confirmed it for each other. Paul had a vision later in the book of Acts about being persecuted. And the prophet Agabus came along later and confirmed it. You see, that's very important timing. The pattern in the New Testament is that God speaks to your heart first and then he brings someone along that you trust and confirms what he's already spoken to you. Not the other way around, because then we'd be subject to manipulation, right? Well, so-and-so said I'm supposed to do this, and I didn't feel that at all, right? So, so God, is, God is a God of order. I love that about these patterns. Has your dream or vision been confirmed? You see, in Paul's case, when he got into Damascus, Ananias confirmed every single thing that God asked him to do. Isn't that powerful? Someone else reads your mail and they had no way of knowing. Can you imagine how much confidence that gave Paul for what he was being asked to do to start preaching the gospel that he had previously been persecuted? Someone came along with no knowledge and told him everything that God had just told him. That kind of, that give you a little bit of confidence. In Peter's case, when he got to Cornelius' house, a man he'd never met, Cornelius confirmed everything. Because Cornelius had had, had had a dream and a vision too. And so Cornelius confirmed for Peter exactly what God had told him. And every preacher's dream happened right there before he was even done preaching in Cornelius' house. They didn't even call for the musicians. How does this happen? The Holy Spirit fell right there in the middle of the sermon. And people started speaking in tongues. They didn't read the order of service. It was amazing what happened. The Holy Spirit fell right there in the middle of service. Powerful stuff. So, so it's timely for me because... Um, 
a year or so ago, God gave me this message that I, he really impressed upon my heart to share with all of our leaders, our pastors and board members, and some of you in this room probably heard the message because I preached it at a dinner we had in the fall of 2015. And it, it, was, it was not an easy message to preach at all, uh, it, but it's now turned into a book that hopefully here in a few weeks will be out. And, and uh, the very first day I preached that message, I was really nervous because I knew it was going to make some folks upset, might even step on their toes. And I'm kind of a nice guy. I like to avoid conflict if I can avoid conflict. But I knew that message was, was not going to be a slam dunk. But I knew God had given it to me. And so the morning, it was about, folks, come on, let's, let's, let's focus on what we read about in Scripture. Jesus Christ was crucified for the world's sins. Can we focus on that unifying message, which is the gospel, and not get so caught up in all the chatter on all these other issues and, and starting fights on Facebook and everything else that doesn't give Jesus Christ a good name. And, and there's some people who make sport out of that. And so I knew that this, I'd be taking away one of their fun activities uh, if, I, if I said that we really have to be careful because the world is watching. And, and the pattern of the New Testament is they just kept hammering away at Jesus. Jesus, he's the answer. He's the answer. You don't see the apostles getting into all these other rabbit trails. And so Jesus crucified. And so the very first morning that I got up, I had to preach this message 14 times around Ohio that month. That very morning, God knew how nervous I was. And I was even thinking, is there a way I can, can get out of this because I know some folks might not like this. And I, I looked up in the sky because the previous night was one of those uh, blood moons you, know, you cheer about, right? So I just looked up in the morning because I got up so early it was still dark out. I just wondered if there was any of that left. Instead, what I saw was a, a full moon. It was white by morning time. But right in front of the moon, and I have the picture. Uh, I'll never never get rid of it. I have it in my, in my uh, computer at home. Was the outline of a cross that was just so stark right in front of the moon. And I thought, you know what? I don't know if anyone else has seen this, but for me on a day when I've got to encourage people to just stick to preaching about Jesus on the cross I laughed. <laughs> I said, I have never seen that in my whole life in these 50 years, and today's the day when I really needed to hear something like that. So maybe, maybe it was just a fluke, but for me, it was exactly what I needed, how God spoke to me. Now, that, that is not something I would go around and preach that you've got to experience God just like that. That's not the point. The point is he spoke to me, and then, boy, did he confirm it. People I never even would have dreamed, people whom I respect, kept confirming that message. So I'm walking through it now, but let me close with this story about how I walked through it in a way several decades ago that changed my life, because I think this might encourage you. Now, before I do this, this is not, this is not to me meant to be taken as God's word for single men, all right, to follow my steps and go get a wife, all right? So let me put that caveat out there, all right? This is my story. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a youth pastor, and I'm not married. And actually, I'm just loving serving the Lord. I'm loving the youth group. I'm loving the church where I'm, I'm at here in Ohio. And uh, the pastor and, and the leaders, we're all going to go to this Light for the Lost banquet. And many of you here uh, know what Light for the Lost is all about. A, a great organization, a great emphasis to help raise missions dollars. The speaker that night did a great job. But during his message, I began to feel God just speaking to me personally. Not, not to the whole room, but just to me. And, and the message is very loud. It's like one of those cone of silence moments, right, where I'm the only one in the room who can hear this, I think. But it's so loud, I, off, I do wonder, 
Did someone else just hear what I heard? Oh, my goodness, did you hear that? The message was, John, what are you doing? You know that young lady, Bridget, in the church? Why have you not asked her to marry you? You need to ask her right now. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You will never find anyone on the planet who's more perfectly suited for who you are than Bridget now. Well, that was so powerful, so clear. I, I, I felt like if I don't do that, I'm going to be in disobedience. So, of course, Bridget and I were not dating. No problem, right? She's people. It's about people. All right. <laughs> so that was a Thursday night. The next morning is Friday. I wake up. I'm still, I don't know if I'm shaking, but I'm still very, very much aware of and feeling the effects of what I heard God speak last night. Like I was in a trance. Like I cannot do anything but follow what God just told me to do. So I do it. I go to a jewelry store. I've seen movies. Uh, you, have to, you have to have a ring. So I go to the jewelry store. What size is she? I, I don't know. I don't know. I just need a wedding ring. It's the truth. I bought a wedding ring on a Friday. On Friday night, I haven't said a word to anybody, not one person. On Friday night, my father flew up from Fort Myers, Florida, where he lived. Excuse me, uh, Bradenton, Florida, where he lived at the time. And uh, he was coming in for the weekend to Columbus, Ohio. So I picked him up, and he stayed at my apartment. And I didn't say a word to him. But the next morning, I'm driving him to his appointment, and he's sitting in the, in the passenger seat, and he's just over there smiling, kind of laughing in a way that many kids find irritating when their parents do that, right? And so what, what are you doing? Why are you laughing? What, what's going on? Oh, nothing. I just, I just had a dream last night that you got engaged. And I was stone-faced. I did not tell him. I, oh, really? <laughs> like, that's going to happen. So tell me, I mean, what does she look like? Has she got like long black hair or something? Because as some of you know my wife, she's got short blondish brown hair. And no, no, it's kind of short, kind of blonde, kind of brown. Oh, she's got a really big smile. And uh, you know, the thing is, she's a cook. And uh, my wife, Bridget, uh, is a cook. Um, she, she was the cook at Heartland for many years. And at the time that uh, that was going on. She was traveling for Taste of Home magazine because she had a degree in home economics, and she was doing cooking shows, uh, traveling uh, the mid the mid uh, Midwestern United States doing cooking shows. I cannot believe he just said that. He said, "Yes." Yeah, she asked me if I wanted a cake and what kind of cake. I told her chocolate. Oh, she's a really good cook, John. That was my, just my vision. That was my dream. He said, "That's impossible." He has never said that to me, ever. How did that happen today? So I still didn't say a word, you guys. I was just too embarrassed. I was still maybe not convinced, even though I was trying to do what I could to follow through on what God told me to do. That was a Saturday. On Sunday, he flew home, and I'm realizing, because I hear about Bridget's schedule, that on Tuesday, she's leaving for two months. She's going to do this multi-state thing that she did, doing these cooking shows. And I kind of get the impression that two months... Waiting then does not fit what God told me about ask her right away. Like, I felt like if I wait, that's why God said do it right now because maybe it's going to be too late for then. So, so it's Sunday, and I realized, well, she leaves Tuesday, so Monday night. So it's Sunday night. Back then were the days when 
pastors and their staff would sit on the po- on the platform. Remember that? And so I'm sitting up there on the platform. I'm looking at her, and and then the pastor gets up and makes an announcement, and he says, uh, "We have an, a special meeting on Monday night for all the staff and the board. I need everybody here on Monday night for whatever it is we're talking about." Monday night. She leaves Tuesday morning. There was there's my opportunity. Then, then it's tonight. Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to go to her after church tonight and, and ask her. So it's Sunday night. So that's also something we used to have, Sunday night church. And so I'm, I'm sitting there, and, and I'm, I'm looking at her, and I'm realizing she has no clue. She has no clue. I'm thinking, girl, I'm about to rock your world, and you have no, you have no idea. So there's a problem, however, because uh, Bridget talks. And she's friendly. And usually on Sunday nights, several dozen young people, college and career, the whole group, all usually go out together. And usually, hey, Bridget, wherever she gets everything going. And, and I can't have that tonight. I've got to have her all by myself. So I felt like as soon as the pastor said amen that night, I felt like I jumped off the platform. I'm not sure. I was in my mind, must get to her now. And then I start to see the swarm. And, and they're gathering around her. And in my mind, I'm going, no, no, but, but I'm too late. And by the time I get to her, we're all going out to Bob Evans. How romantic is that, right, that we're, we're all going out together? I can't, and then the one guy who always needs a ride, hey, Pastor John, can I have a ride home after Bob Evans? No. <laughs> sure, sure. So we all go out. It takes forever. I, I take this guy home, and now I've got I've to make a beeline back to her house. She had moved in with her parents. She just graduated from college. And, and so I go to her house. It's probably 10, 30, 11 at night now. And I knock on the door. And her dad comes to the door. And yes, what's wrong with this? Come on. You guys are saying, oh, dear. Come on. What's so strange about that? I don't get it. Well, it was strange because her dad looked at me like that. What do you want? And here's the, I didn't tell you this. Uh, Bridget and I had dated a year earlier. And uh, you see, I had broke things off with her. So that's a little part of the story that's probably important to know. Um, and I, I have a reason for this. I have a reason. You see, she was the, the first girlfriend I had. I had been on dates throughout high school and college every once in a while. Not a lot. But she was the first girlfriend I had, and we dated for all of four weeks. And so uh, during those four weeks, however, uh, we would talk, of course, and I realized that she didn't agree with every word that came out of my mouth. She had, she had absolutely different opinions on certain things. And so... I realized, apparently, not for me, so I called things quits. I gave her a dozen roses. It was very nice, uh, but I'm the one who called it off a year earlier, and, uh, and she's now dating someone else. So uh, a member of the church. Okay, so what? All right, so you need to know that. You need to know that part. So when I asked her dad to uh, get her, he said, well, she's asleep. But I had this ring in my pocket, and I, I know what I thought the Lord told me. And my dad, he, he confirmed this. So I did what I normally would not do. And I said, uh, it was like this out-of-body experience. You know, like, I'm going to say this, aren't I? I'm going to say this. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to say this. Uh, can you wake her up? Can you get her, get her out of bed? So he's like, well, okay. So he goes and gets her, and she comes down. Imagine what she's thinking, you know, who, who is on her porch at this time of day and what I'm about to say, which is, would you like to go on a walk? 
would you like to go on a walk? It's 10.30 at night. It's a perfect, perfect time to go around the block. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, here's how this is going to go. We're going to go to the first corner, and I'm going to say, you know, what a fool, of course, I was. I'm so sorry. I'm going to fall on my sword. How dumb was I? And then the second corner, I've been thinking, you know, you want to kind of see if there's anything still there. And third corner, maybe, yes, yeah, she'll be my girlfriend again. And fourth corner, then I'll, I'll just go for it. And, and by the time we get back to the porch, we'll be engaged. Why is that so funny? I don't understand why that is so funny. That makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> Let's see. Who, where, where is, where is uh, oh, there she is. Are you, she said I mentioned something about this a while back. Are you now getting the full story? All right. Yeah, it's all true. So we take off, but it didn't go like I planned. The first corner, and no. <laughs> Second corner, no way. Third, we're all the way back to the porch, and she wants nothing to do with me. Nothing. But my dad said that he had a dream. And uh, there's nobody on the planet, nobody, whose words I would rely on more than my dad, who just passed into the Lord a few months ago. So when I tell the story, just as you all know, and you've walked it in your own life, those stories get more meaningful. So here goes the out-of-body thing. So I get down on my knees. We're back at our porch. She's sitting on the chair, and she doesn't want anything to do with me. And I reach into my pocket. Bridget, I am really serious. I want you to marry me. Would you marry me? And uh, she was in her chair, and she immediately leaned back and her feet went up in the air as she was laughing so hard. <laughs> sometimes, you know, when people are laughing with you and sometimes they're not, they're laughing at you. And this was, this was one of those at you moments. But when that young lady regained her composure, she said, yes, I'll marry you. I just don't want to date you. Which the vision that I had said nothing about dating, right? Notice how we go to great lengths to try to work our way into something that we're comfortable with as opposed to doing what God told us to do, right? When I finally went out there and put myself in the territory of being totally dependent on God and, and saying, I am out of control, <laughs> I am so out of control in the situation, that's when God performed a work, and I hate to cry, you guys, I don't usually do this, but when I think about what I would have missed, you don't know my kids, many of you don't know my wife, but the thought that I would have missed out on, on all that I have thoroughly enjoyed, that means literally more to me than life itself, I could have missed it all could have missed it all if I'd found some way to find an excuse to say, oh, that's not God. Oh, that's too big. It's too bold. It's too crazy. Heaven would have to show up for that to happen. 
Hmm. So, like I said at the beginning, maybe this message is not really about a vision or dream that you're having. But maybe as God has put upon your heart to speak a word of encouragement to someone else who's really wrestling right now with one of the biggest decisions they could have ever made. And you may not even know exactly all the details, but God is putting them on your heart like he put me on my dad's heart. He was probably embarrassed to share that silly story. It is preposterous. I'm sure mom and dad thought I was never going to get married. I was one of those people. I had given them no clue for more than two decades that, that I might be married material and, and boom. So it might put you in a little bit of vulnerability to share with someone else what God has, has spoken upon you. And my dad didn't do it in a commanding way. He didn't tell me you've got to do this. He just said, I'm just sharing with you what God told me. And that's all. And you can do with it what you want to do. You may never know until heaven how something as simple as that may be really the reason why someone that you love very dearly in this congregation or in your family actually follows God through to completion on on a vision and a dream that will impact thousands of lives because you took the step to find the time to make sure they heard from you that God was putting you on their heart, that God was speaking to you about them. We, We need each other. So young and old, we need each other for the visions and dreams, and young and old, we need each other for the confirmation. Sometimes we need each other to help fulfill the vision. We hear the vision someone has, and and we're the one that writes the check. We're the one that makes that connection. We are heaven to someone. We're, we're that heavenly component that makes it all possible because of how God wants to use us. So first and foremost, I'm thinking about your pastor today because I had a sabbatical last year. I know how, how powerful it was for me. And I'm, I know that Dan is praying for you, even though he's supposed to not be on the clock, so to speak. I know Dan and Marcia are praying for you, and, and they haven't for one day, one moment, forgot about Louisville First Assembly. Hopefully they're getting some rest. But we're here today because of good people in this church getting behind a pastor and his wife to do some amazing things. And God's not done. Amen? Uh, How many of you like to believe, and you actually know it in your heart, that not just this building, but people in this room, that God has some mighty plans to use them for his glory and his honor. Things To do things that people will just laugh at right now. But when they see how God does it, he'll get the glory, and that's what it's all about. Maybe it's you today. Maybe God's been really speaking to your heart about being used in a a new, a more effective way, but it involves a lot of risk. Your reputation might might be stretched a little bit. You might have to take a stand for Jesus. You might might need to do something crazy with your business. You You might have some conversations with people that are not the most comfortable thing in the world, but you know God's put put people on your heart, and it's about the future, and, and heaven has to show up for it to happen. And, and if it's been confirmed, too, my goodness, what are you still doing here? Don't collect $200. <laughs> Don't go past go. Get out there. Get it done. What else does God have to do? If he's confirmed it, and it's somebody that you trust, you know they, they, they're not perfect, but, man, their, their life, it, it's a good representation of the body of Christ If it's about the future, it's about people. That's a powerful combination. So can I pray with you today? Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? Father, I I want to first and foremost pray today for the person in this room who might be that Saul. Maybe they're the, the last person that they would ever think would ever go ahead and make a decision to serve you. And, and they're here today. 
So, Lord, if I drove from Columbus, Ohio today to deliver that message, that salvation message to someone in this room, I thank you for that. I thank you for what you're doing in their hearts. And if you want to make today your Saul conversion day, you want to say, you know what, bag the excuses. Forget all the reasons I've come up with. I know it doesn't all make sense. And, yeah, I see some Christians that do things I don't like, but I know when I get through it all that it's Jesus. And Jesus needs to be in my heart, and my life needs to tap into what God has planned for eternity for me to enjoy, forgiveness through Jesus Christ, eternal life in heaven, God's blessing and favor on on my life now and on my decisions. If you want to step into the family of God, because you know you have not been in the family, you want to you want to get things right with you and God. You can do that today. You can start that journey, and it's it's going to be a blessing. It'll be a challenge in many ways, but it will be a decision you will never never regret. I promise you that. If that's you today, while people are praying and heads are bowed, would you raise your hand so I can include you in my closing prayer? I'd love the privilege of praying with you today that Jesus Christ would be your Lord, would be your Savior. Forgive all of your sins and make make everything new. I see that hand. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Today's a great day. Today's a great day to say yes to the Lord. Amen. Amen. And now if you're here today and you're, you're hearing what I'm saying and it's kind of scaring you because maybe this is God's way of saying it's about time. He's preparing you for something he's about to do. You've been sensing it. And now you just want to make sure you have his favor, you have good people in your life so that you take the steps in an orderly fashion, not too fast, not too slow, but you don't want to miss out on God. Or maybe you're here today and and you're feeling a little convicted. Boy, I've been there. Because you know that God gave you this vision. He, He gave you this dream a month ago or a year ago or 10 years ago, and, and really, it's never left you. It's almost to the point that if you had to express it, you'd say, I feel like I'm almost in sin, that if I don't do what God has told me to do, I feel like I'm going to be disobedient. That's how real what he's put on my heart is. Don't feel under condemnation today, but receive this, this reminder from the Holy Spirit because he loves you. He loves you. And, and maybe, maybe today's service is just to give you that final nudge so you take that step. Because you already know it's been confirmed. You know it's about the future. It's about people. And you know heaven has to show up. If that describes any of you today, it could be about reaching out in your school. It could be about starting a, a new venture. It could be about taking your marriage to the next level, about an outreach, about, about maybe a totally different vocation, following the Lord, even when everything already looks good. If you know that it's a vision or dream God's given from you or you want to make sure you're not missing his plans for your life. Would you, would you raise your hand today as people are praying? Yes, amen. Thank you. So many all over the room. Praise God. Almost done. Now how about this? How about God's put someone else on your heart? And he's, he, he keeps bringing them to your heart. He maybe gives you visions or dreams or you can't just, you can't get them out of your mind. You know God's doing something in their life and, and you want to be an agent of encouragement and co- confirmation but you don't want to creep them out and you don't want to mess them up. You just want to be obedient to what God has told you to do. Would you raise your hand? God's put someone else in your heart and mind. Oh, praise God. And now together we're going to pray for Pastor Dan and Marcia because those folks need confirmation. And I'm convinced all over Ohio there are churches that, that, 
don't even fully understand how powerful it is just to come alongside and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Just to come along and say, Pastor, we're, we're, we're with you. If God's speaking for you to take this step, man, we're going to be with you. You're not going to have to look very far for people to roll up their sleeves and join you in prayer and do everything we can. We are going to be with you. I, I want everyone uh, to join me by standing today. And that's how we're going to conclude, by praying uh, for our pastor and then praying for these needs. You've been listening to a sermon from Louisville First Assembly. For more information, visit www.firstagonline.com. That's www.firstagonline.com.